You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, uh, Alec and team. Thank you, David, for leading us in worship in that very important way. I'd invite you please to open up your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, and our text this morning is verses 14 to 23. Philippians 4, uh, 14 to 23. This is our final sermon in the series through Philippians. Uh, started, it feels like a long time ago. But uh, as we've made our way through, uh, since really since I started here back in September, uh, today uh, we are coming to the conclusion of our series next week. Next week, Lord willing, I'm going to start a new teaching series in one of my favorite Old Testament books, Book of Ecclesiastes. So we're going to start there next Sunday, Lord willing. And um, it will be, uh, if you're not familiar with Ecclesiastes, you'll be surprised at some of the things you read in that book. And if you are familiar with it, then just be, be praying that the message of that book and the realities that are put forward there, Lord, that the Lord would work those into our hearts, and it would be a special summer for our church as we study that Old Testament book. Just a, a quick note, and uh, you just correct me, Nathaniel, if my correction is wrong, okay? But the uh, next Sunday, the, uh, the, the farewell time for Brett and Bria and family is after both services, Right? That is correct. Okay. I thought so. Sometimes I'm pretty good at messing up stuff and information in my own mind, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure I was paying attention in staff meeting when we made that decision. And uh, yeah, so after both services next week. So if you're coming to first service, you'll have an opportunity to, uh, uh, to, to interact with uh, Brett and Bria after the service and then the second service folks, same as well. Their last Sunday with us actually won't be last it, next Sunday. It'll be the Sunday following. Sunday following is Father's Day, though, and we just know there's all kinds of things going on, and so we just want to make sure that we were nice and clear and focused, and um, so we can send that family off well. Of course, you can still pray that God will flummox their plans and keep them here, but we are excited for them about what the Lord has for them. All right, so we're in Philippians 4. Now, I've got a word on my mind this morning that I think describes how some of us probably feel about the subject of today's sermon. The word I have in my mind is awkward. Awkward. The subject today, I think, is awkward for a preacher because it's pretty easy for my intentions to be misunderstood or for me to appear somehow self-serving today as I preach this subject. I think it also can be awkward for the listener because teaching on this subject many times leaves the listener feeling guilty. It's also awkward, I think, for all of us together, because if we don't do this right, it can reinforce some unfortunate and unfair stereotypes about the church. Okay? So the word for the day is awkward. The subject of the sermon, well, let me ask you, any guesses? What's the subject? Any guesses? Money, that's right, money. And more specifically, giving, on giving. And all God's people said, awkward, awkward, right? If you're a guest here today and the person that brought you sitting next to you, they are feeling like they are dying inside right now, saying, I can't believe that he's gonna talk about this the day and I brought my dear friend with me. And uh, so you can just have some fun with them afterwards if you'd like. That's no problem, I'm okay with that. 
But uh, we're looking at the subject of giving today. Now, two weeks ago, we were in Philippians 4, 10 to 13, where Paul addressed the topic of having. Now, in verses 14 and following, he addresses the subject of giving under the broad banner of money. Jesus said this. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, here's an awkward question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that's true? Now, some of you will hear that and be like, I mean, no, no mean, not meaning to disrespect Jesus, but some of you say, no, I, I actually don't believe that. I believe that giving is far and away better. Uh, or sorry, receiving is far and away better. Some would say, well, well, maybe. And of course, these are the honest answers. Coming to church, you probably say, oh, yes, yes, we agree with that. But some would say, well, well, maybe sometimes it's better to give than to receive. But let's face it, there's sometimes it's really good to receive. But Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. There are some of you I know would say, yes, I do believe that. I believe that by conviction. I believe that, I believe that it's true and I've experienced that. It's, it's, and that's wonderful. I wonder, though, if you know why it's true. Why is it more blessed to give than to receive? Why would Jesus say something like that? Well, you know, the church of Philippi had a reputation for giving. They were, they were known, well known for being a generous church. They had a track record of giving faithfully, sacrificially, even though they were persecuted and they were extremely poor. This is a very poor church. So Banastrum, like, there's no crystal cathedral going down in, 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 uh, in Philippi. They are a poor church. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that they were extremely, they had extreme poverty and they were afflicted. How poor? Extremely poor. But the reality is that despite their poverty, they gave generously, even sacrificially. In fact, it was their generosity in part that prompted Paul to write the book of Philippians. You see, the Philippians had heard that Paul was in prison, and in that time, in that place, if you were in prison, you had to pay for your own stay. And so if you didn't get outside help, you, you were in serious trouble. And the Philippians heard that Paul was in prison in Rome, and they put together a collection, and they sent him, uh, they sent him a gift. We don't know exactly what that entailed, but we imagine there was money. There was probably food supplies. There was, there was clothing, surely. There may have been other things that Paul needed. They sent a person to help him and to provide care for him. They heard about Paul's need, and despite the fact that they were poor, they rallied together and gave to him. And part of the purpose in Paul writing the book of Philippians was to thank them and to acknowledge their generosity. Of course, he, he does as, as the Apostle Paul. He's got some pastoral concerns for them. And we saw through the first three chapters of Philippians that he addressed those concerns. They were facing some external opposition. They were persecuted. And Paul wanted to pastor them through that. There was some, uh, there was some internal dissension. There were people not getting along. There was an open dispute in the church, and Paul wanted to pastor them through that. They were also dealing with doctrinal confusion. Paul wanted to give clarity on that and even some correction. So he had some pastoral concerns that he addressed for this church that he loved. But when we come to the end of the book, we can see that he wants to spend some meaningful time here, give meaningful space to expressing gratitude and blessing the church for being a blessing to him. That's what's going on. That's part of the reason that this book got written. And while you might be hearing this and thinking to yourself, oh, that's very sweet. That's a very nice story. But what possible relevance does this have to me? That's a fair question. Understand this, that what Paul says here about giving, 
What Paul says here about giving shows us some things that we need to grasp if we will understand why Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. See, I think part of the purpose of this text for you and to me is to encourage us in our generosity and to move us to be more faithful in giving and by doing so, even more blessed because it is more blessed to give than to receive. If we will hear what Paul says here in this text and internalize it, I believe, listen, I believe that this text is for us power from God to impact our hearts, to shape our minds, and to move us to be more Christ-like in giving and therefore more Christ-like in living. That's what I think is going on here in this text. Let's read it. Okay, let's read it and see what Paul says. Now, I said verse 14. I'm going to read from verse 10. Uh, just to get the whole flavor of it, but we're focusing on verses 14 to follow. So Philippians 4, beginning at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that now at length you revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So you see what he's saying? He's like, you, you, you were concerned about my situation and you've revived your concern for me. In other words, you have, you have moved to, to help me. And he's saying, I'm not saying you didn't care about me before, but you just had no opportunity to send gifts to me. I remember they were a poor church. And so probably maybe lacked of funding, I don't know. But anyway, he's wanting to express gratitude. Now verse 11, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's that message on contentment, on having. Whether I have more than I need or whether I am lacking, I can have that internal peace in my heart that comes through Christ that enables me to face whatever situation God calls me into. Now, verse 14, he shifts to now giving. Yet, verse 14, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I, left, when I left Macedonia, Macedonia is the region where Philippi is, he says, in the beginning of the gospel, in other words, when you first believed the gospel, when the church was first planted there, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Think about that. The Apostle Paul, in those days, there was one church that stood with him financially. It's the church of Philippi. Even in Thessalonica, now Thessalonica is not far from Philippi, even in Thessalonica you sent, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So multiple times, more than once, you've cared for me. Verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift. I love that, I love that. Just as a pause, sorry, I keep breaking this up, but I love that Paul is so clear that, hey, listen, our relationship isn't based on money. Like, I love you even if you don't help me because I love you. I love that clarification, right? Our, our, it's not like if you quit giving, I quit loving. Oh, I love you, but you give because you love, and it's great. He said, that's why he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus. He was dude from Philippi that took the gift to Paul. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, and pleasing to God. And my God, oh poor Philippian church, 
And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. Here's the primary principle that I've drawn from this text that I've written down. Maybe you want to write it down too. It's this. If you're given to giving, then you're richer than you think. If you are given to giving, like if you in your life are committed to giving unto the Lord, then you are richer, you are more wealthy than you think or than you may realize. Just to get this out of the way right up front, I'm not endorsing any particular banking institution this morning, just so you know, okay? I'm just saying I think they got a slogan that works for me today, so I'm borrowing it. I'm not plagiarizing, I'm borrowing. Like you borrow a book from the library, I'm borrowing it. I'll give it back when I'm done preaching my sermon, okay? If you're given to giving, then you're richer than you think. That is to say that when you give unto the Lord, the value of what you give is far greater than you realize. It's like my, my boys are going through, they, they've rediscovered here some coins that my, uh, my dad had. My dad had collected a bunch of coins, and my mom has, uh, had gave the boys all the, the coins that my dad had. Well, they just recently rediscovered them, and they're going through them, and they're discovering these coins are, they're quite old, very old coins, and they are worth a fair bit of money, and they've been doing some phoning around and calculating and stuff like that. We're having some internal discussion about whether or not they should actually try to sell these coins, because they were, after all, my father's. We'll have to see. There's an ongoing negotiation there on the home front. But they can pull out a five cent, a nickel, or a dime, or even a 50 cent coin. And the reality is, is that the face value of that hasn't changed. They take that 1930 whatever nickel to the store, it's still worth five cents. But the value of it is more than, than, it, than it's worth itself. It's of greater value. And it's the same thing when we give. That's the principle here. Paul is, is very clear to the, the Philippians that, yeah, it was kind of you to give unto me. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's a great kindness. And your gifts to me have had real, immediate, practical help. I, I, there was, I don't feel like I am in need, but I was in need, and you've supplied for me. So your gifts have helped me. But what Paul is showing them here is that your giving unto the Lord takes what you have given and multiplies the value of that beyond what you could ever have imagined. And that's, that's the principle here. You're doing more. When you give unto the Lord, you're doing more than giving money or clothing or time. It's an offering that when you get it into the Lord's hands, it immediately goes up in value and worth. Now, just to be clear, when we're talking about giving this morning, we're not talking about charity in general. I'm not down on charity in general. There's lots of different causes that maybe you would give to from time to time. I got causes that I would give to from time to time. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about giving unto the Lord, giving of my money, of my things, of my time, of my talent, giving unto the Lord for his kingdom purposes, for the advance of the gospel, for the growth and supply and resourcing of the local church and the Lord's people. Talking about giving 
unto the Lord. You know, the New Testament teaches us that this is important for us to do. Believers are taught in the New Testament to support those who work in preaching and teaching and gospel proclamation. See what I mean about awkward? It's just like, oh yeah, preacher, okay, pull out a verse that teaches that. I didn't write the Bible. And I know we're in a church where there is this is a conviction about this. And, there's, and I should say too as well, I have told you before, and I'll say it again this morning, I, have, I don't think I've ever seen a church with the kind of generosity you see here in this church. So as I preach this, is hopefully for many of us this morning, this is an encouragement and an affirmation to keep going in that. But understand, the New Testament teaches that we're to support the work of the Lord in the local church, the preaching and teaching and gospel proclamation. Galatians 6, verse 6 says, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The laborer deserves his wages. 1 Corinthians 9 and 14. Those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. There is a call for believers to support financially the work of preaching and teaching and gospel proclamation. And we also see in the New Testament that there is a premium placed on loving your church family in practical ways, including financially, as there is need, fellow believers. Galatians 6 verse 10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we're to love everybody. But practically speaking, we're to love firstly our, our church family. And we are also called to be giving toward the advance of the gospel, to planning churches, to, to the mission of the Lord. And we see that in Philippians. Back in Philippians 1 verse 5, Paul began his book there. And he said, verse, verse 3, he said, chapter 1 verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, I think Paul is especially talking about their financial support of him, which he circles back to at the end of Philippians and thanks them for that and blesses them for that. The reality is, is that we are called to be generous. We're called to give and to give unto the Lord to the work that he's doing in this world. That's what we're talking about when we talk about giving. And so if you're given to giving, your point is, if you're given to giving unto the Lord, Paul's teaching here that you're richer than you think. In verses 14 to 20, he outlines particular ways in terms of how that is so. How is it so that when we give unto the Lord, we are richer than we think? How is it that... How is it that the value of what I give increases in value when I put it into the Lord's hands? How is that? Well, Paul here enumerates at least five things that happen when we give unto the Lord. Five things that happen when we give unto him. Number one, when we give unto the Lord, it's a way of loving the Lord's people. When we give unto the Lord, it's a way of loving the Lord's people. Or put it another way, giving to the Lord is a way of loving the Lord's people. So Paul, is, he's so appreciative of their kindness to him, isn't he? He says, verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. That's, that concern is a care, it's a compassion. Verse 14, he says, it was kind of you 
to share in my trouble. You've shown me kindness. How does Paul feel? In receiving the gifts from the church of Philippi, how does he feel? He feels loved, doesn't he? Feels loved. Verse 16, he says, even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. What's the feeling he's conveying? Gratitude. You've, you've loved me. You've been kind to me. They cared for him. Notice for the Philippian believers, it wasn't enough for them just to send a message to Paul saying, we care about you. No, as poor as they were, they were sure to send tangible, meaningful help for him. It's like James says, if somebody comes to you poor and naked, a brother or sister comes to you poor and naked, and you say, well, God bless you, go on your way. James asks the million dollar question. He says, what good is that? The answer, it's actually no good. Especially if we have means of helping that person. See, giving to the Lord is a way of loving the Lord's people. And loved ones, we show love in many ways, don't we? We show love in many ways. Through prayers, through fellowship, through the ministry of presence. Through conversations. And through giving. And caring. Whether it's care packages for missionaries or whether it's money to help a brother or sister with their dental work, or assisting and pitching in to fix somebody's house, or giving an offering in our local church. What we're doing in part when we give unto the Lord is, it is we are loving the Lord's people. It's a way of demonstrating love for our brothers and sisters. So see what Paul is showing us here. Like, yes, it helps. What you've done has met a practical need, but it's more than that. It's kind of you. It's caring of you. It's loving of you. See, when we give unto the Lord, it's a way of loving the Lord's people. Second, giving to the Lord is partnership in the gospel. It's partnership in the gospel. He says in verse 15, he says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, I take that to mean when the church is planted, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in the giving and giving and receiving except only you. Giving to the Lord is partnership in the gospel. What Paul's saying here is like, since your, first, your church was first planted, you faithfully joined with me, been with me in gospel ministry. You think, well, how is that possible? I mean, here's Paul in Rome. Here's the church of Philippi, hundreds, hundreds of miles away. And yet Paul says, you've been a faithful partner with me. How, how, how is that? Well, how it is, is through supporting him, through providing financially uh, for him. See, loved ones, here's the reality. Others may be doing the preaching. Others may be doing the teaching. Others may be doing the evangelizing. Others may be out there clothing the, and feeding the, the unclothed and unfed millions in our world. Others may be boots on the ground, face-to-face, in-person doing the ministry. But when we give unto the Lord and give to support the work of the Lord, we are, even if we're miles away, with, and, and there's people being ministered to in a place we've never been to, people we've never met, when we give unto the Lord, we are partnered with them. We are there with them. That's what Paul is saying. You have been with me. We are partners together in this. And it's not some cheap, cheesy way to make them more generous. He's speaking gospel, Christ-centered truth here. We're joined together. This is partnership. And that's what happens when we give unto the Lord. We partner together. So think of our own church. And if you go on our website and click through, by the way, have you seen the new website? 
Isn't it snazzy? And all it's all nice and fresh and everything. It's awesome, wonderful. Uh, real big, big shout out. Thank you to Pastor Alec. And he didn't do it alone, but he was point person on that. So way to go, Alec. Give him a hand. Way to go. Congratulations. Bless him. Encourage him. He's back there turning red right now. It's awesome. If you go under a website, you can, you can click around and you will find there is featured on our website a number of different ministries and people that you, that you support financially as a church. Let's think about that. We had just a few weeks ago, right? We had Compassion Canada here. And so many children and families and churches around the world. And, and here we are here in Niagara, but through giving, we're partnering with them and, and preaching the gospel and in helping and encouraging and equipping uh, the Lord's people and seeing young people saved. It's wonderful. Or think about uh, over in Scotland right now, Harvest, uh, there's, there's Harvest Glasgow, which has planted Harvest Air. And you, brothers and sisters, you have partnered with them and your financial gifts are helping them to preach the gospel and to plant churches in another country and another continent. And it's amazing what's happening there. It's not an easy place for the gospel, but it's going forward in power. And you're part of that. You're there. Some of you have been to Scotland. I've never been to Scotland. But the reality is, is that through our giving, we're all in Scotland right now. It's the idea. Or how about Pastor Omar and uh, Miriam? Again, I, I uh, mentioned it already, but seeing him recently, it just, just so encouraged by him and what God is doing there in Mexico City. You and I, we're, I mean, we're not in Mexico right now, but we are there because of the support that's going to him. Or how about the GCC Canada and partnering together all of these churches across our country and then all around the world with the GCC International. It's an awesome thing to join together with brothers and sisters and see churches planted in places, in cities that some of us have never even heard of. Where people who God knows about are hearing the gospel and are coming to Christ. And here we are, joined together, partnered together through giving. So you see what I mean? That when you give unto the Lord, like what is this? It's a few dollars. It's, it's a, a gift. And not that I don't feel it. I do feel it. But it's, what is this? A few dollars. But you put it in the Lord's hands and all of a sudden it's not just a gift. It's partnership in the single greatest enterprise that this planet has ever seen, namely the advance of the gospel and the growth of the church. It's an awesome thing. So you see what I mean? When you give unto the Lord, you're richer than you think. You're richer than you think. Giving to the Lord is loving God's people. It's partnering in the gospel. Third, Paul shows us that giving to the Lord is laying up treasure in heaven. Notice verse 17 what he says. Not that I seek the gift. Again, so he wants to be real clear here. It's not, it's not about me receiving. Paul was grateful. Don't misread this. He is grateful. But he's, also, he's always pastoral. He's showing them, not that I seek the gift. Our relationship isn't just about money. I'm not after the gift, but I am after this. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Or I seek the profit that accrues to your account. What in the world does he mean by that? Well, fruit in the New Testament, fruit is, I mean, I know what fruit is. I got a bowl of it at my house right now, right? And it's, there's, I think there's bananas in that bowl and there's apples. And those all, those all grow on trees, right? Right, okay, good. Yeah, so they all grow on trees. You look at me, like, how did you not know? I just, I, give me a break, okay? There's a thin slice of things in the world that I know, all right? So they grow on trees. So, this, so there's something that was planted, it grew, and then voila, appears these bananas and apples, not on the same tree. I know that much, right? And here right now I've got, it's what that tree produces. You don't eat the tree, 
But you eat the fruit to come because the tree produces the fruit. That's what your life is like in Christ. There's you, and God is at work in you, producing things in your life, not fruit hanging off your body, but good works that give glory to Jesus and make you more and more like Jesus in your loving and in your living. That's what fruit is. Fruit is the good works that are produced in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit as we grow in Jesus. It's the good works that we do. Now, Paul says, I don't seek the gift, but I do seek the fruit. Notice that increases to your credit or to your account. What is he, what is he talking about? I know what an account is. I got a bank account. And he says here that there is fruit that increases to your credit. So that goes to your account. What account? Where is this account? The account is in heaven. Back in Philippians 1, Paul said something really interesting that I think ties in with this and helps us understand what he means. Back in Philippians 1, verse 9, he prayed a prayer for them. He says, Philippians 1 and 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Now, love is fruit. It's the Holy Spirit produced bananas and apples and grapes of your life. Grapes don't grow on trees, I know that. The f- love is fruit. So Paul is praying for fruit in their lives here. My prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. What's the day of Christ? That's the return of Jesus. That's the end when we all see Jesus. When we all get to heaven, that's the time that we're talking about, the end. And so what happens there is we're gonna be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We're gonna have lives that are bearing fruit that will demonstrate that we belong to Jesus. And on that day, we will be, notice verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So I think what Paul is saying here is he's got his eye toward the future when Jesus returns. And what he's demonstrating here is that there's fruit that increases to your account. And the account is gonna get cashed out in the day when Jesus returns, and it will get cashed out in terms of rewards. Let me put it to you a little simpler. Jesus said this. He said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Paul is saying here, I think, in verse 17 is that. That what he is after, what he's most excited about in their giving is not so much the gift that he's been given, but he's grateful for that. But what he's most excited about is the fact that in their giving, they are laying up for themselves treasures in heaven. Your life is producing fruit, and the bearing of that fruit is credited to your account. And in the day of the Lord, he will, in ways that only God can explain, and I don't know what this is going to look like, but he will reward us. We're putting up treasure in heaven. And that is a bank account where, from which you will get awesome returns. Awesome returns. Kind of think about this. I think about junkyards when I think about this. You go past a junkyard, and if you can see in through the rickety fence, you look in there, and you can see in there piles of cars. And you can think to yourself, that junkyard is full of people's dreams. Oh, you know what I'm gonna buy? I'm gonna buy myself an Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme. 
That baby is in the junkyard right now. I always dreamed of getting a car when I was a young person. My first ever car, it was a K-Car Reliant wagon. I was so thrilled to get behind the wheel of my K-Car Reliant wagon. Giddy with excitement. You know where it is now? It's in the scrapyard somewhere. <laughs> if you know those cars well, you'll know it belonged in the scrapyard. <laughs> the day it was driven off the lot, but that's another story. Jesus reminds us that, you know, there's a real temptation to put all of our investment in immediate earthly things. But the problem with that is it's always a losing proposition. But when we give unto him, we're making investments in heaven. And the investments we make there are not going to end up in the scrap heap in the junkyard. No, but instead, we will get full returns of the glory of Jesus and the blessing of having given our lives and given of ourselves to that which is truly worth it. Giving to the Lord is laying up treasure in heaven. I think that's what Paul means when he says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Because in that day when the Lord returns, it will be to his glory and for your joy. The investments that you made for him. Do you see what I mean? You're richer than you think. If you give it to the Lord, you're richer than you think. So giving, giving unto the Lord is loving his people. It's a way of loving his people. It's partnering in the gospel. It's laying up treasure in heaven forth. Giving to the Lord is worship. Giving to the Lord is worship. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Now notice how he describes these gifts. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now this is Old Testament language Paul's using here, isn't it? If you've read the Old Testament, like that sounds like Old Testament sacrifices. And you're right, that's the illusion I think that Paul is making here. When offered from a sincere heart, not carrying on with sin on the side, when the Lord's people would offer up their sacrifices in the Old Testament, that's how it was sometimes described as a pleasing aroma to God because it was, they were acts of worship. And when you give unto the Lord, what Paul is showing us here is that's what that is. It's worshiping the Lord. You're saying, Lord, you are worthy. And, and my heart's desire is to give what you have given me, to give back to you what you have given me for your glory and for your kingdom. And when we do that, it's a lot of things, but it's, it's, all, it's among those things, it's worship. We're honoring the Lord. We're making much of him. And what Paul is telling the Philippians here is, listen, your gifts that you've given to me are pleasing to God. It's blessing me because it's providing for me the things that I need. And I'm, he's, that's why he says, I'm well supplied. I've received your gifts. In other words, thank you. I'm grateful. But understand this, that not only have you blessed me, you've blessed God, you've honored him. And he is happy. He is pleased. Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Or how about 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7? God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. God wants, he does call us to give, but to give gladly. See, there's, there's at least three kinds of givers. Okay, for one, one kind is guilty givers. 
I give because I'm guilted into it. I feel bad because I haven't. And that's kind of a reluctant giver. I'm not terribly pumped up about the reason. I'm just really crushed down because I haven't and I feel bad and so I'm going to give. Okay, if I have to, I guess. There's guilty givers. There's also grudging givers who give under compulsion, uh, you, you know, and giving under pressure. You know, everyone else is giving. I don't want to be the only one not giving, so I'll give. Third kind of giver is glad givers. I give because I want to. I give because I love the Lord and rejoice to give. Does my heart good to give unto him? Which of those three do you think the Lord's looking for? Number three. <laughs> number three. You're correct. Door number three is, is the Lord smiling. Door number one and two, he's not smiling because you don't want to. Do you think God needs your money? No. <laughs> no. He actually is very wealthy. See, there's everything that there is in all the universe, and it's all his. So he's actually okay. He's doing fine. Not fretting about tomorrow. Bank account solid. He don't need your stuff. He wants you. Your heart. And when we give unto him, it's an expression of the fact that he has my heart. And it honors him. Think of it this way. Imagine if I get flowers for my wife, Leanne which I should do more often than I do. Imagine I get for her flowers and she says, oh, thank you. Like, they're, they're beautiful, they're beautiful. Thank you so much. And I say to her, well, I've been feeling really guilty that I haven't given you flowers in a long time, so I, I feel a lot better about it now. How's that, how's that moment gonna go? I don't think she's gonna look at those flowers the same way. Because really, see, a guilty giver, when you give, it's actually really about you. And me feeling better about me. Or imagine, imagine she says, oh, thank you. That's so thoughtful, so kind of you. That's beautiful. And I say to her, well, you know, last year on your birthday when I didn't get you flowers, you really let me have it. I mean, you tore a strip off me. You yelled at me. You called me names. You never say at church. And you, it, was, it was an awful thing. I'm actually quite scarred from it. And I don't want to go through that again. So I thought to myself, I better get you flowers, right? I said, I do love you. She's not like that ever, right? <laughs> Does it make you look bad? That's right. See, you know what I'm doing? You're here. You're here in the room, right? So we can all sort this out together afterwards, but she's not like that. <laughs> she's not going to be honored by that, right? I mean, those flowers are, they're going to wilt right there in her hands. But if she thanks me with the flowers and say they're beautiful, and I say, I gave them to you because I wish I could give you more, but I just want you to know that I love you, and you're special to me. Those flowers all of a sudden are more than just flowers, you're richer than you think when you give it to the Lord, when you give unto him. Because when we give unto him, we're worshiping him. Some of you, been worship some of you worshiped this week on your phone or at your computer when you gave your offering for the week or when you sat down at your desk and wrote a check or when you put some money in an envelope and maybe dropped it in the box at the back. You were, whether you realize it or not, or were aware of it or not, that is when you give it gladly and in faith, it is an act of worship unto the Lord. When you give, give unto him. It's pleasing to him, and that's worship. So you see, it's so much more than just a gift. Giving to the Lord is worship. Fifthly, finally, giving to the Lord is strengthened by God's promise. Strengthened by God's promise. Notice verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours 
according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I think if we're honest, one of the things that keeps us from giving is that deep down in our hearts, we've got a little bit of fear, or maybe a lot of fear. And the fear is typically this. The fear is of regretting it later. You ever had buyer's remorse? You go and buy something, and as soon as you get in the car from leaving the store, you're just like, oh, I shouldn't have bought that, and you're feeling bad about it. I remember we bought a digital camera back in the days when you actually purchased digital cameras, and buying a digital camera, and we came outside and sat down like, oh, I can't believe we just spent all that money on this camera. Now, it turned out to be a good investment. But the reality is, is that sometimes we can, we can spend that money and just feel instantly like I shouldn't have done that. Sometimes we have giver's remorse, where we give, and then moments later, we're like, oh, yeah, I don't know I should have done that, because we're afraid we're going to need it later, and we're going to miss it later. Now, now, you and I feel that. Hey, listen, listen. It'd be pretty easy for the church of Philippi to feel that, because remember, they were poor, like poor, and didn't have much, and surely as they pooled together to send this gift to, to, with Epaphroditus to Paul, there was sacrifice in this, and surely there was concern about, about how are we going to make ends meet. They had, they had probably concerns about how they're going to make ends meet before they gave the gift. It's not going to get easier afterwards from their perspective, but Paul reminds them here, he encourages this generous church here with this reality that God is faithful to his people, and he says to him confidently, boldly, with words of promise, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So according to his riches. And remember we said God's doing okay. He's the wealthiest person there is. So out of the abundance of his riches, he will supply for you. So he's got, he's, he's, he's got the resources that you're going to need. And he's faithful to supply for you according to your needs. You say, what are my needs? Your needs, biblically, are what you need in order for you to do what God wants you to do. You will not lack. You will not lack what you need for you to do what God wants you to do. You may feel lack. Paul felt lack to, in a certain extent in terms of having need. Not in a fearful, unsettled sense because he said, I've learned to be content. And Christ strengthens me to that. But he knew what it was to go without meals. He knew what it was to have tattered clothing. He knew what it was to, to, be, uh, uh, to not have the support and the help that he, he knew what that was. But he also believed this with conviction. My God will supply every need of yours. And I want you to see this here. Think of the poverty of the Philippians and the realities of the Apostle Paul because it's important for us to see this isn't just Christian church niceness, candy, nonsense. This isn't pretendy land that we're preaching from here. Because we can feel that sometimes. Like God will supply for you. And some of you hear that and you think that just sounds like church nonsense. But we really do believe that God will supply for us. And many of you have seen it. And you've experienced it. I would encourage you, loved ones, to talk about it. Tell people about how God has provided for you. Because as you do, you will encourage others to see that. Now, we don't just talk about this stuff. We believe this stuff. And we experience this stuff. The reality is, is that when we give unto the Lord, our giving is strengthened by a promise. It's powered by a promise. The promise of God that frees me from worry and strengthens me to give. Now I should say, the Bible's got lots to say about money. The Bible's got lots to say about planning. 
about handling our money wisely, about paying our taxes, about providing for our families, about planning for the future. The Bible's got a lot to say about those. The Bible's got a lot to say about enjoying the gifts that God gives us. So there's balance here. There's tension here. But for many of us, at least in our culture, our problem is often not being overly generous, but overly reluctant about being generous. And this text helps us by showing us, listen, we need not fear. Because God will provide for us as we trust him, as we move forward in faith. Giving to the Lord is strengthened by his promise. It's loving the Lord's people. It's partnering in the gospel. It's laying up treasure in heaven. It's worship. It's strengthened by God's promise. I love the story I heard a number of years ago, a guy was starting a ministry, a prayer ministry, and he was looking to buy a building. Sound familiar, looking to buy a building? And he went and met with a seller in a particular location. He was convinced this has got to be the place. And he went there, and the, the, the place was worth a fortune. And the seller was engaging with him. And here's this guy, he's just coming in, he's starting some prayer ministry. And the seller asked, like, do you have the money? You know what his answer was? He said this. He said, oh yeah, my father is very wealthy. Huh. It's true. His father was wealthy. And through the Lord's people, and through the work of the Lord, he was able to buy it and start that ministry. But I love that line about my father is very wealthy. Loved ones, your father is very wealthy. But here's the thing. When you give back to him what he's entrusted to you, when you give unto him, your wealth goes up too. Because the value of what you give back to him increases when you put it in his hands. Loved ones, I just want to point out the fact that being generous and being faithful in in generosity is something that only the Lord can do. Only he can do that. Only he can make us love what he loves. Only he can give us passion for what he is passionate about. Only he can enable us to see something of the value of what we put in his hands. Only he can can move us to live for eternal reward. But that's why we preach texts like this. It's because it's a means by which God does it. I want to appeal to you, brothers and sisters. I want to encourage you to take specific steps in generosity. For some, it will be a matter of staying in the habit of being generous. And in that, I would encourage you to prayerfully internalize what we've seen here in this text. When God has worked in your life to make you generous in giving to him, uh, uh, review this text and ask the Lord to help you to stay that course of not being fooled into thinking that the things of this world are worth more than they are, but to know by conviction that when I give as unto him, it's worth so much more. So for some this morning, my appeal would be to stay the habit, take specific steps in prayer to stay the habit. For others, it might be getting into the habit of giving. And my pastoral encouragement to you would be to be deliberate this week. Be deliberate. Be deliberate in determining how much. How much are you going to give? Lots of people would start at 10%. I would just say there's a whole other sermon. I think the New Testament principle is generosity, but 10% of what you take in is a great place to start. 
If you say, I don't know that's gonna stretch it, well, you pick the percentage. You talk to the Lord about it. It's his anyway, so why don't you talk to him about that? But start there. How, how much am I going to give? It may take a bit of time. It may have to get out a pencil. You have to jot down some things and think through and look at what you have and what your, what your responsibilities are. But determine how much. How much am I going to give? Second, determine how often. Like, when am I going to give? Am I going to give unto the Lord every week? Am I going to give unto the Lord once a month, every other week? How often? When, am I, when are you going to do this? Determine where. Where am I going to give? I would say New Testament principles... That if, if this is your church, if you consider this your home church and, and you're partaking of the ministry here and you're blessed by what you're partaking of here, then I think the Lord, the Lord would want you to give to our local church. Not exclusively here, but certainly to give unto here. But determine where are you going to give. I think it's important. And the final thing I would say to be deliberate is, is start now. Like start this week. Take a step this week. I find in my life when I, de- when I dally and delay, the intent gets away. Like, yes, you know what? I, I, I want to. I am richer than I think when I give to the Lord. And I go home and I'm like, I'm going to do something about that this week. But I don't do something about it. My intention gets away from me when I dally and delay. Take, take deliberate steps this week, loved ones. Will you, do, will you do that? Will you take deliberate steps this week to walk in generosity? There's a big part of me that feels like I should just close right now, but there's just one more thing I want to say. One more thing. This whole sermon has really been about the benefits of giving unto the Lord. But I really just feel I'd be so remiss if I didn't circle back to the basis for giving unto the Lord. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ's generosity toward us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. What does that mean? Talk about the fact that the Lord Jesus, the King of the universe, became poor and that he entered into this world and he gave the most he could give, he gave his life so that by his death on the cross, you could have your sins forgiven and you could be brought to God. See, by him becoming poor, he's made you rich now that you've got the forgiveness of sins and you've got life and you've got a relationship with God that will last forever and an inheritance awaiting you in heaven. Despite my many failures, Jesus humbled himself and made himself poor to rescue me and to bring me to God. This is, loved ones, this is the basis, the basis of our generosity. And I would just appeal to you to come and find the wealth that there is in Christ. And as you experience and know his generosity, you will be moved to be generous too. Let's pray together.